0: One of my favorite authors one time wrote this. In Western culture, the joyous shouting of children often irritates us because it interferes with our depression. (laughs) (laughs) Funny, but also depressing, right? Now, what he's not referring to is clinical depression. What he is referring to is what we can all be prone to, this kind of maintenance mode of just going through the motions of every day, kind of becoming robotic even to the point of being numb, which the consequence of that, all of us to a certain degree can relate to, we forget that we're actually alive. And so when something interrupts what it is that we're about, and all of us are main characters and a story about us, right, that's instinctively how we live, and so we're going about our day, we're going about our week, and anytime anybody interrupts or disrupts that routine, we have to pay attention to that instinctive reaction, like, why are you getting in the way of what I need to do in life? And kind of frame that. Even in Burlington, you know, at the room here in that union, right, it's it's not uncommon to have a, a, a new mom bringing a newborn, right, too young to to drop off in the kids area, maybe, and so wanting to, to be close, right. My wife did the same thing. And pay attention to your first thought, first reaction when you hear a baby cry, like, oh, are you kidding me? Don't they know we have nursery, we have childcare for that, right? We can get irrational, be like, oh man, this is supposed to be a quiet place. Why are they call it a sanctuary? They're disrupting my time of worship. Like heads up. The problem might have more to do with your state of mind and being than that baby crying. And what Rollheiser is getting at with that perspective is in that moment, right? Yes, that baby might distract us from what it is that we're about, but if we step back for just a second, what we're fully reminded of is the gift, the beauty of life. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay, that might be a disruption, right, from, from, from what we're here for, but if we are in tune, with the big picture of how God is leading us in life, then we can literally have the discipline of gratitude for even having the opportunity to live every single moment of the day. And we frame disruptions, interruptions, not just as obstacles, but as potential opportunities. What is God wanting me to learn in this moment? How is he wanting to use me, maybe in the circumstance? So depression, so to speak, in the way that Rollheiser is referencing it, Is what we can all default to if we allow ourselves to just kind of shift into maintenance mode of our lives, right? And kind of we're numbed out to the fact that we are alive. And here's how I frame it. We lose a sense of urgency when our busy personal agenda blocks our greater purpose. Because God didn't just, he didn't bring us into this world so that we could live the best kind of life for the sake of ourselves. He's always wanting to frame opportunity for the sake of getting beyond ourselves. And we have no idea what that looks like, but we have to be ready to be used by him. Because God, when... We see obstacles, oftentimes he has in mind an opportunity. So I believe we have a God who desires to constantly wake us up. <laughs> I hope that happens every time we gather like this, right? We, we choose to pause, to give God a chance, to see his picture, not ours, and he wakes us up to the fact that we're alive and we have a sense of purpose when we're clinging to him. I hope we want more than just the completion of our personal agenda. I think we oftentimes define success way too small. I pray we never limit success to merely God answering our prayers, So we pray prayers, right, desperately. And oftentimes, you know, we believe that if God answers those prayers, then we're good. I got what I wanted. But isn't that too small of a vision for what success should really be? Shouldn't we want and even expect more than just what we can see and what we, from a human standpoint, desire? So we pray, God, heal me, right? And We hope that he he heals us. God, give me this relationship. Give me this job. What if he actually wants to do more than that? So oftentimes when we pray for something, God doesn't give it to us. He does something different. That different is actually from his perspective the definition of more. So do we desire what God wants more than we desire what we want? Understand that he sees his vision is better than ours. So I just want to encourage us we set up our scripture today to stop defining success by merely getting what we want. So Jairus is a a man in scripture who has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. And as we look through the story uh, of Jairus, there's multiple elements to this story and multiple directions we could go. But I want us to have a very narrow focus in putting ourselves in the shoes of Jairus. So we can think about how would I react if I'm Jairus in that moment. Here we go. Mark chapter 5. Verse 21, when Jesus had again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, right? A sense of desperation. You'll see why in a second. He pleaded earnestly with him. Here it is. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. He believes in who he's heard Jesus to be the miracles he performed, the power that he has. In verse twenty-four, pretty direct. Like Jesus, it says, Jesus went with him. Picture the scene: large crowds, Jairus at his feet, and Jesus says, "I'm going with Jairus. Verse twenty-four: a large crowd continued to follow, press on, pressed around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That actually happened. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That should be the end of her story. But notice, again, imagine we're Jairus in this moment. Here's Jesus. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around. Jairus is saying, no, what are you doing? Turn around. I was first. First in line. You said you're, you're going with me. Here is Jesus turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, the disciples said, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? You should know. Verse 32, imagine Jairus. But Jesus kept looking around. Jesus, come on. Have you heard? My, my daughter's dying. He kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. The whole truth. Again, we're gyrus here, right? You ever been in conversation with somebody, right? Somebody else comes in and they start talking, and then they insert whatever they want to insert. Now you're going to get the whole truth. Like, we don't need the whole truth. The whole truth, right? Pretty impatient if you're gyrus. Jesus said to this woman, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So that probably, right? We, we read this in scripture, but again, the whole truth, think about how long that time frame took. Verse 35. While Jesus was. Still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, said, your daughter is dead. And then they said, why bother the teacher anymore? Yeah, Jesus is a big deal. He can heal, but he can't bring the dead back to life. Don't waste your time anymore. Verse 36, here's what I love about Jesus. He's always paying attention, right? He's always fully present, but he's also fully aware of what's happening around him. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. So he's still with Jairus. He's still in tune, on the way, with him. Verse 37, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, a little bit cultural context. At that time, literally people would be hired to like mourn in situations like that, which sounds really weird, but imagine this scene, a lot of people mourning. Jesus said in this moment, the child is not dead but asleep. So naturally, verse 40, we would have the same response probably, they laughed at him. Like, that's ridiculous. Don't you know what dead looks like? Like, I don't even know why you bothered to still come. You can't do anything. Author Timothy Keller has interesting commentary on this. He, one line he says, by Jesus' actions, if I have you by the hand, death itself is nothing but sleep. Two different perspectives here. Perspective of the people, they know what dead looks like, dead is forever, but then you have the perspective of Jesus, the perspective of faith. Proper perspective is always born out of faith. So notice what Jesus does next. He gets all the people without faith out of the room. <laughs> the rest of verse 40. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha koum," which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Naturally, wouldn't all of us be? They were completely astonished. Why? Because they got more than what they could have ever asked for or imagined. And this is where we often get it wrong. Our faith is often too small. We, we, we reduce success in living out a faithful life by merely just getting what we want. What did Jairus want? He wanted his daughter to be healed. Well, Jesus says, I can do more than that. See, Jairus was looking for the one who could heal and ended up getting the one who brings dead people back to life. That's no small thing. (laughs) God was so much bigger than Jairus could ever even imagine. So think about this personally. Why would we ever underestimate God when our agendas are interrupted? Might there be a greater purpose that we simply can't see? Maybe our expectations of him are way too small because he's looking to do more than we can even see, begin to ask for, or even imagine. So Jesus is going with Jairus, but what does he do? Right? We have to be paying attention to the rhythm, the pace of Jesus' life. He stops. It's incredibly inconvenient. Time is of the essence. His daughter is dying. Jesus, Jesus stops along the way. He doesn't forget about Jairus, but he remains open to the opportunity along the way. Because Jesus was a master of the ministry of passing through. We're all on the way to somewhere all the time. But oftentimes, we can sacrifice the journey for the sake of the destination because our efficiency in accomplishing our personal agenda becomes king, and so nothing's going to get in the way of that. But Jesus exemplifies the discipline of the the faithfulness of the ministry of paying attention on the way. Jairus desperately needing help, but not the only one who needs help. See, the task at hand for us is to see beyond ourselves, to daily see beyond ourselves. This is a discipline. It won't naturally happen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is, uh, this is the frame, the vision, the calling of us personally and especially as the church together. Jesus, with his disciples, while they're in Jerusalem, here's what he tells them. You will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's our greatest purpose in life? To go all out, literally here and to the ends of the earth, to tell people about the goodness, the grace, and love of Jesus Christ. So it's this proximity influence. This proximity responsibility. The final words of Jesus before he ascends to be with his father. This is, these are the final words the disciples heard. This is now your task at hand. Still the same today. So last week we talked about our Jerusalem. Ministry, our best ministry, our best witness begins in our homes. We should be the best witness, the, the best version of ourselves in our own homes. We're called to love and to, to put Jesus on display in the people nearest to us. In our homes and where we work, in our neighborhoods, that's where it begins. But this proximity influence, this proximity responsibility goes beyond just what we can see right in front of us. We're always preparing to also go. We're all in in Jerusalem, but we've, all, we've got our eye on Judea. So again, cultural context, Jesus having this conversation in Jerusalem. That's the spiritual home for all these disciples. It's the religious spiritual capital right in the entire area. And so even though they're not born there, they're not originally from there, this is their spiritual home. And so Jerusalem is part of a larger area called Judea. Equivalent would be Burlington and Union, where we're sitting right now, in the context of the state of Kentucky or the context of the tri-state. We're called to be great witnesses in Burlington and Union, but we better have an eye on what is beyond us. That's why 16% of our budget goes toward local and international missions. We're all in here and we're all in there and everywhere in between where God has us step into opportunity to make a difference. This is our mission. This is our calling. So going with the good news about Jesus and God's kingdom begins at home, begins in the city of Jerusalem, but expands to the entire surrounding region of Judea. So we're always going to be on the way, right, thinking about our personal agendas, our rhythms, you know, in life. And when you think about this area specifically, Burlington and Union, many, if not most of us, go to Cincinnati, uh, monthly, probably. Some of you who commute for you know, Monday through Friday, you're literally going to Cincinnati daily. And if we're operating with a proper sense of urgency for the right thing, which is people who don't know Jesus, we have to step back and think, how, oft, how many people are we passing as we leave our homes and we're on our way to Cincinnati or to work? How many pe- people are we passing who don't have a relationship with Christ? Next question, do we care? Do we have a sense of urgency, a burden, not being okay with that to the point of, right, many of you, some of your best prayer time happens on your commute, right? You're praying for those people. You have no idea that you're passing. This is why we've decided to launch our third campus in Campbell County. So I want to spend some time giving some context to that, coming to bring in full circle and what God has orchestrated in that specific area. But it's really embracing the ministry of passing through. We don't want to be content with just uh, certain pockets or certain bubbles and Burlington and Union and saying, okay, we're good. All right. we, like our, we like our place. We like the people. Yeah, I think we, we could just do this forever. We always want to be paying attention to what God might lead us to next. So what might we miss if we aren't paying attention to God's interruptions, really, in our lives? Even more so what God might be cultivating and wanting to do more than we could even ask for or imagine. So how do we land on Campbell County? Some of this was reviewed for those of you who've been here for uh, since we first announced that. It started with uh, navigating opportunity in different areas in the tri state, and uh, the Union campus launched in 2012. And ever since then, we've never had the mindset of, all right, where's the third? We've got to figure it out. It's being disciplined and patient and saying, God, if you want us to launch a third campus, we're going to wait on your timing and your location. So, consider discerned possibilities in Lawrenceburg and Grant County, and we're like, no, oh, that's not, we don't feel like God's making that clear. But Campbell County started to rise to the surface because. Number one, we have a decent number of people who drive from Campbell County. They're part of our church family at Burlington and Union. Uh, But secondly, and even more importantly, uh, there's a lot of people that live in Campbell County that don't go to church and don't have a relationship with Christ. There's also not a a lot of uh, thriving churches, especially in northern Campbell County, when you get closer to the river. Ransom demographics, there's higher rates of depression, higher rates of divorce. So there's opportunity to minister to people that are experiencing loneliness and isolation. We've, uh, for a long time now, had a church culture, church family that's very comfortable in uh, impoverished areas. And so we do a lot of things with uh, homeless and, and low-income families, looking to bless them, and just being in different environments where, fortunately, we have a lot of people like, they're just naturally in tune with connecting with people no matter their life circumstance. So that gets us closer to areas where there's more density when it comes to uh, physical needs and being able to make a bigger, de- bigger difference in meeting some of those needs. So those are the practical reasons. But even then, like, okay, God, we're paying attention, but we want you to make it absolutely clear. So about a year and a half ago, my wife, Emily, and I were over um, at a family's house in Fort Thomas, you know, right at the center of uh, where we believe God is calling us in that general area. And uh, this family, the Offelds, here's a picture of them, Sean and Stacy, and their six kids moved from Indianapolis uh, about four years ago. Sean is a, a doctor at Children's and works a lot at Sandy e. Edgewood as well, and that's what brought them from Indy. And uh, they just are missionally minded, passionate about uh, meeting people and reaching people in their own neighborhood, in their own community. They've been trucking at 25 minutes to the Burlington campus with six kids. Some of you know that have kids, so that 25 minutes can be like two hours, depending on how that Sunday morning goes. And so we're having a conversation with them, and now you might be thinking, okay, that's great. How did you run into them? Was that just, you know, through a coffee shop or whatever? And here's where it gets crazy. If we believe in a God of more who orchestrates something that we couldn't even think of or imagine, well, here's the story. I graduated high school with Sean and Stacy. Now, some of you that don't know where I came from, I grew up in Wabash, Indiana, about three and a half hours from here, middle of a cornfield. So Sean and Stacey and me graduated in 1997 from Northfield High School in a class of 97 people. So here's three of us out of the 97 all hanging out together. And uh, so we're like, okay, maybe God's doing something here. And then so now you reach back and how long maybe has God had something more in mind? Has he been orchestrating? Well, let's take this back to 1985, literally, kindergarten class. Darren and Sean in the same kindergarten class. Metro North Elementary. Sean and I were two of, uh, you know, there's five of us, starting at a very young age, um, you know, that hung out, right? We're really close friends all through elementary school, and uh, so we went to school all the way until graduation. Fast forward to senior year, if you were to ask me, man, what's the highlight, right? You're in uh, Sean's uh, shared experience. I would say this. Uh, I'm on the left. Sean's on the far right. We beat Huntington North, one of the biggest schools in all of Indiana, uh, to win the sectional in basketball, right? Again, we're very small school, 2A, they were 5A, but this was before class basketball, beat them on their home court, pretty big deal. So if you were to ask me, wow, that's, that's by far the highlight. But now here we are, 22 years later. Now, Stacy sent me some other pictures that I'm not going to show you, because you're like, hey, what about Stacy? You graduated third too. Well, she sent me a picture of a school play we were in our senior year of Bye Bye Birdie. And I, <laughs> if I showed that to you, that would officially be a distraction. And you... <laughs> As long, I don't know how more makeup ended up on me than Stacy, but 18 years, I've never told that story, and we're going to leave that story for another time, because that would be officially off the rails. But Sean and, and Stacy and I graduated together, and here we find ourselves a year and a half ago, two decades removed. Could God be up to something more? So that's one part of the story. The other part, Mark Graham, our Campbell County pastor, uh, Back in 2002, he joined the staff here at First Church. I came on in 2001, he was 2002. For the next six years, uh, we worked together in youth ministry. He eventually, him and his family, went to Las Vegas, here's a picture of his family, for about seven years, and he comes back to take this position as the Campbell County pa- pastor, and uh, campus pastor. And so back when we were in youth ministry days, like, oh, this is fun, right? We're basically you know kids, being our young 20-somethings, just uh, you know, trying to build up the youth group. And uh, that's a chapter, right? It's just a stage, you know, all right, this is cool, what God's orchestrating, but apparently God had in mind more, cultivating these deep roots, coming full circle, and aligning the paths of people that have, we've been relationally connected for literally decades, saying, Darren, you had no idea <laughs> what I had planned to do all along. Now he asks us to pay attention. Well, you want to play small, right? Just do what you, just keep doing what you've been doing, Right? Or do you want to pay attention to the fact that I've planted certain people in certain places so that they, they can influence the greatest work, reaching people who don't know the grace and love of Jesus Christ? Will you step up to that opportunity? So here's, a, I set those two stories up because I want you to hear from Sean and Stacy, and then Mark about Campbell County specifically. Check it out.
1: I'm Sean Offeld and this is my wife, Stacy. Uh, We've been living in Fort Thomas for about four years now. um, And we are just very excited to be part of this launch into Campbell County, uh, where we are trying to reach people in this community. It was interesting, we didn't really fully know why uh, we had been called to Cincinnati. I came for a job. But we always felt like there was more to that, that God had more in store for us. And we were looking for what that was for the first two or three years that we were here. And then as luck would have it, we met up with one of our old friends from school, Darren Morani. It came up that they were really thinking about launching a campus in Campbell County. And the light bulb just kind of went off. The, the, we really felt like this maybe is why we were here. I, right. Yeah. Right, we are so excited about reaching the community and bringing that hope of Christ to people who don't know who he is. We wanna be very um, deliberate about being obedient to his, his will and uh, we hope that uh, you know, this is just the beginning, that we, we are so excited to see what God's gonna do in this community to help reach others through this church and through these people. We're all in, our family is all in. Our six kids are all in. We want you to join us on this calling to be the light in Campbell County.
2: I'm Mark Graham. I'm our Campbell County campus pastor here at First Church. And we've been doing a lot of learning about Campbell County as we've been prepping for this launch. We've learned there's over 40,000 people living in Northern Campbell County. That's 275 to the river, which is incredible. These are tight knit communities. People live there at times even for generations. But the one thing I keep coming back to is this word hope. It's our calling, it's our commissioning. It's what Jesus told his disciples when he left them was, hey, go make disciples, go bring hope, go bring about life change. That's our why, that's what we wanna do. So early January, we'll be opening our Campbell County campus right here in Northern Campbell County where we want to create space where people can gather on the weekends and join life-changing communities of people in small groups and just learn about life transformation. That's what we want to do. We want to do it this way. This is kind of our what is. We want to live out the ordinary in extraordinary ways. We don't want to overcomplicate it. We just want to make it simple for people to come find hope. Come give hope a try. I just can't shake the word. I just keep coming back to it. It's all about hope. It's the one thing that people don't always grasp, but it's the one thing that we can offer, that we can bring to the table. So our invitation to you is, would you come join us in bringing hope to a new community, to a place we've maybe not been, where there's not a lot of people going to church. It's your opportunity to be a part of joining. And when Jesus has already begun to orchestrate, you just get to play a cool key role in doing that. So would you consider joining us here in Campbell County, to start something new.
0: So Mark's done a great job since literally the beginning of the summer cultivating a sense of community, right, and spending hours and hours alongside Derek Caldwell, realtor, trying to find the the, the ideal spot where we can really be a blessing in that community. And uh, he launched uh, student ministry and some small groups. It's really cool to see how the people have come before the place to the point that we've uh, solidified the staff even. So Mark's the uh, Campbell County uh, campus pastor, and we recently brought on Don Miller to oversee children's and also be uh, the administrative support for that team. She is a high flyer, high capacity, absolute gift to our staff. She has a sense of urgency. And to the point where, as we're researching, uh, a couple months ago, she literally said, well, well I'm, I'm going to do something, whether or not you guys do or not. So like, that's the kind of people you want. You have a heart for reaching others, right? And they're, they're the ones pulling us along sometimes. And then to complete the staff, so three full time staff, we have Johnny Grimes. He'll be uh, overseeing uh, worship and students. Some of you, if you're here this past summer, uh, got a chance to meet or see Johnny. He uh, was our 10 week uh, intern. And it comes from uh, Johnson Christian Christian University, just an unbelievable blessing to us in a short amount of time, just such a humble, gracious spirit and a high-capacity worker. And uh, he literally, I remember at the end of uh, the summer, his his final day was a Thursday night service. He's over here playing guitar, and I came up at the end of the service to say a prayer over him and told everybody that was here that night how much we're going to miss him. But we're going to keep tabs on him. Right, he's going into his senior year and it's like man we would love to have Johnny back. I'm saying this openly, right? Not to guilt trip. I'm saying hey, better come back one day. Apparently we didn't wait, right? He's not even done with school and we're like, "Dude, Johnny, we would love to have you." So be in prayer for him cuz he's navigating his senior year, able to do fortunately most of it online, going to be working 30 hours a week for us. Uh, soon-to-be fiance, that's, which is not an announcement, but something that hopefully will come soon. Lexi, right? Poor girl. She's like, oh, that's cool. Straight into adulthood and career, right? Here he goes. But we want to pray that we can be a blessing to them in this time where he's just amped up, both of them are, to make a difference here. So God has solidified that staff. So we have the what, we have the who. Now, obviously, people, more than anything else, ask the where. So Mark spent a ton of time researching places, and we, God finally led us to a really cool spot in Southgate. Uh, the city address is actually Newport, but it's the Southgate Fort Thomas line uh, to a building, an old Methodist church building that wasn't even yet put up for sale publicly. So we we were able to buy that for two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Unbelievable, unforeseen gift. So I love the character of it, right? And so we'll start out, you know, because it's smaller, that front room on the left, right? According to fire code, at least, you can get 200 people in there. So we'll try our best in between two services, have a capacity of 400 plus kids. So God orchestrated that to be able to step into an opportunity right in an area where a lot of the people that live there said, yes, this is a positive area that we can make a difference right away. So, again, committing to the vision of going beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth is technically an interruption to the attention we give right in front of us. Here we sit, Burlington Union, we're all like, yeah, we're good. It's also the very thing, though, that keeps our sense of urgency alive. We're always postured toward going, whatever going looks like. Sometimes it looks like sending mission teams, sometimes it's planning churches, sometimes it's campus strategy. But we will see interruptions as either obstacles or opportunities. Two possible responses to interruptions. One could be, hey, what about us? Like, oh, well, here we go, kind of spreading resources too thin, right, kind of a scarcity mentality. Like, man, there's more things that we could do, you know, at Burlington and Union, we're still, we're deciding to go instead. Or we could have the, that's an obstacle mentality, or we could have an opportunity mentality that says, hey, what about them? And I pray that we're a part of a church that that's always the first question. <laughs> hey, what about those who don't yet know Jesus? Opportunity mentality born out of a sense of urgency of what matters most, going to people who don't know Christ. So let me be very clear, I pray the greatest burden on our hearts as a church and our primary sense of urgency is always toward the, reaching those far from God. We always have the greatest burden toward not what can we do more where we already are and the already reached, but how can our best, most focused energy go, go towards accomplishing Acts 1-8, wherever God calls us to where lost people are. Let me also be clear, and some of you that have been here for a while are already, you have clarity on this, but if you're new or what I'm about to say next, this might be the best. One of the best messages you could hear as far as our vision of how we define success. So let me, let me be clear. Our primary aim is not to go somewhere to get people to come to church. Our mission is to go to introduce people to Christ, not to come to a service and to just keep coming to a service forever. Our services are pretty simple. Burlington and Union, right, we put a lot of time and energy into making them excellent, but they're, they're pretty simple, right? Right? Most people aren't going to walk into our facilities or, you know, experience, you know, a flashy worship, uh, you know, experience and walk away saying, wow, man, that trapeze artist, that was crazy, right? I love Jesus. <laughs> but, right? It's like, you know, because the way that we frame this is we see our, our facilities and our worship experiences to not be the end-all be-all. Because our goal is not to just have a, a culture where people attend worship services. You could attend church services the rest of your life and not encounter a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so let me be very clear about what our primary aim is, how we define success is whether or not we're actually making disciples. And the larger a church becomes, the, more, the, the less appealing that effort can be because it's, it's incredibly inefficient. <laughs> but this is exactly what Jesus exemplified. It's very clear what he called us to. And this is the hill that we will always die on, We will not create cultures where people attend environments where they come and they experience and then they go their separate way and they come back next week and that's the end of it. We believe that that would be failing at what matters most, cultivating relational environments where discipleship, what that looks like is people actually connecting with Jesus Christ, experiencing a life-saving relationship with him. That's the first part. The second is connecting with other people. That's why the common language around here is join a group, join a group, join a group, right? If you have no desire to ever connect with other people, it's gonna be probably an annoying church family to be a part of. We constantly want people to do life together. So we place a lot of resources and energy around creating those relational environments. So again, when you think about how we prioritize decisions, there are things that fall off the table. The Burlington Campus, this room, could be a lot more exciting. The Union Campus, there are more things that we could do to create that wow factor. We choose not to. Josh Brown's our worship leader here at Burlington. You know, for a decent amount of time, there's certain things he wants to do with this stage that makes it more versatile because part of our vision is utilizing our facilities more for the community. And so to have a stage that's more versatile across not just our uh, venues and worship services, but being a gift to uh, school choirs and theater groups, things like that, that's something we eventually want to do. So when I have this conversation with Josh, he's like, well, yeah, I definitely want to do that. But he also knows we have Campbell County going on as well. We lay those two things out. Our leadership, people like Josh are posture toward like, there's no conversation. Let's go for the people. Let's put our time, money, and resource into what's going to create those environments to reach people who don't know Jesus. So a campus facility, specifically a worship service, essentially exists as a front door. Right? There's more to this conversation. I'm going to unpack the third week of January. But the concise version is that when we gather like this, we meet with, with God, we, we bless him through singing, through his word, and we hopefully experience life change, and we want to connect other people. But it's a, it's a catalyst for connection. So God has blessed us with an incredible front door in Campbell County, the Southgate area, 36,000 people living in a two-mile radius. There's desperate need There. And so you think about the practicality of a front door. If you go to somebody's house, you walk in the front door, right? That essentially, you've walked through, uh, experienced church maybe for the first time, okay, I'm in, I'm in the door. But when you go to somebody's house, you don't stay at the front door. That's really bad hospitality if that's been your experience. Somebody invites you over and you hang out at the front door for two hours. Normally, it's like you greet each other, give you know, each other a hug. If you know each other well, take off your shoes. Like, Come on in and spend most of your time in the dining room and the living room because what is... Most important, whether it's in the home or in the church, the best part about what happens is connection, life together, postured toward Christ. So with Campbell County specifically, right across both campuses, we're all in different areas as far as where we live, but we want to offer the invitation to those of you that either live close to Campbell County or you're like, I don't need a message about having a sense of urgency for people that don't know Jesus. I I have an entrepreneurial spirit that wants to be a part of cultivating an environment that engages uh, immediately, a lot of people who don 't have a church home right and are experienced the newness of this. some of you are, well, are are great at just naturally stepping into those conversational relationships. Uh, we would love for you to commit to being a part of this Campbell County launch team in Southgate for the year 2020 the next twelve months and so at both campuses when you walk out in the lobby you 're going to see uh, tables and displays set up and uh, where you can meet the people that are already a part of that launch team ask some questions and uh, just get some information, but at the very least, uh, write a prayer on that board. That's where it begins. We're praying for the people that we have not even met yet. We know that they're there. We've, we've seen the statistics, but we don't know their names and their faces, but we're praying for them before we do. God wants to disrupt all of our lives so that we are all, always investing in what matters most, and that's people coming to know the grace and love of Jesus Christ. So maybe it looks like investing through serving, investing your time over 2020, being part of that. Maybe it's investing through giving. Our Christmas offering here in a few weeks is going to go toward the improvements that the Campbell County uh, campus needs, uh, which fortunately isn't major renovations, but also union. Uh, Again, this is a story for another time, but uh, because we've outgrown our union campus, uh, we bought property a mile further down. So we'll eventually build on that property. A lot of cool things in the mix there. So the Christmas offering will go all toward reaching people that are far from God in those specific areas. Union being one of the fastest growing areas in all of northern Kentucky. Or again, the third piece, invest through praying. Whether you write a prayer on that board or whether you go home with a greater sense of urgency, especially for those of you that are commuters, right? Maybe you take the 275 loop around, this building's left of of 471, and you're like, potential church family. Future church family. We're paving the way in prayer. So that's on a church level, but on a personal level. Again, I want to encourage you, don't settle for merely getting what you want, for merely getting what you pray for, because God wants to do more. And oftentimes, when he answers our prayers differently than what we ask for, that's his definition of more. And I pray that we're content with what his more looks like, because on the other side of heaven, we're going to have that much more to celebrate. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Paul says a prayer over uh, the, the church of Ephesus. He says, now... To him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, not ours, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to do your work, not ours. We pray that we fail at anything that's a human, small-minded vision. We want to only succeed in the way that you define success, and so may we be about making disciples, followers of you, and that we're intentional, we're relentless, we're passionate about seeing people how you see them, knowing that you're already paving the way. You've planted the seed, you're cultivating the ground to create this divine interruption, an appointment where we can love someone toward you. I thank you that uh, we're just so blessed by an amazing, grace-filled church family across two campuses, postured toward reaching more, never content with just being, just liking the church that we go to, but always wanting to see what you see, what your greatest burden is, and that's people who don't yet know you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.